Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome this morning. Thank you, team. It's always pleasure and a blessing to have you lead us in worship. Ali and Jaron, aren't these guys just wonderful? Look at them, hey? What a team. What a team. He, he just asked me, where's my flannel? Funnily enough, Elise bought me three more yesterday. I'm going through them like a rate of knots. And uh, it's all good, mate. It's all good. It's, um, a week and a half ago, I was uh, fishing. And uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Every time, seems to be fishing stories. Get used to it. Um, and we, were, we set out from um, Greenwall Point down the south coast and headed east. Um, till we're about 65 kilometers offshore. And at that point, uh, you aren't seeing land anymore. Uh, land is but a distant memory. And you're not just in 16 meters of water like Cronulla, you're in two and a half thousand meters of water. That's deep. That's a, that's a lot of meters to the bottom. And uh, it's a long way out. And we've only got a nine inch screen to show us where we are in relation to the rest of the planet. Uh, Talk about being out on the oceans, not knowing which way the currents are going to take you or what might happen if there's mechanical failure or whatever. And we are relying on global positioning systems. But just reminded now as we sing that song that we aren't led by a global positioning system, that we are um, guided by the Holy Spirit positioning system that at any time we find ourselves unsure or unsteady or lost in life, we have the internal resource of Holy Spirit who helps us navigate the waters of life. Isn't that good news? That I don't need satellites, 12 of them to all align to show me where I am. That right here in this very moment, at Nine Resolution Drive, North Bar, that with everything that spins around my world, be it family, work, friends, whatever, that I can find my feet right here because of Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? So let's ask him to uh, work among us. Father, we thank you that right here you have pinpointed us at this very location, that you have found us, that you have shown us the way, and that even as we do face weirdness in these funky corona times, that you will continue to light the way and show us and illuminate the path for us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. So Father, we stand with two feet firmly on the floor this morning, recognizing that we are loved, that we are chosen, and that you see us right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was down the beach for a surf comp. It might've been the Jesus Pro-Am um, five or six years ago and I was uh, down there pre, pre-light early in the morning, probably 5.30 in the morning, still pitch black and I was standing there with a friend of mine, um, Nico Gilmore and um, he's, a, he's a good man, uh, a good friend and we were standing there waiting for the sun to come up uh, to so we could check the surf and see what was happening. Uh, we we're just having some chit chat, drinking our coffee, whatever the case may have been and um, as the light began to emerge above the horizon, in the corner of my eye um, was something really abnormal in the normal beachscape. And it was a car on the beach. 
And I'm not talking about like Boat Harbor where you've got um, Prados and Land Cruisers and all of the four-wheel drives that are built for that kind of thing. I'm talking a Toyota Camry on the beach, out of place. And as the light continued to unfold what was happening, uh, I noticed there was four or five people down trying to dig their car out. And I noticed the kinds of people that these um, were. And if you remember Jeff speaking a few weeks ago about the first thoughts, the second thoughts, the third thoughts, it's often our first thoughts um, are out of our prejudice. And, um, and I had a lot of first thoughts at this moment thinking, look at these so-and-sos, trust those kinds of people to get that kind of car stuck down here. And internally and probably externally, I was having a bit of a giggle, thinking, look at what they've got themselves into. And I'm a little bit of an advocate of you get yourself into a mess, you get yourself out of the mess. And I tell that to Rocky all the time, mate, you picked on your sister, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out of this mess. And I stood there and Nico kind of looked at me with this, the eyes of, are you serious? Let's go and help them. <laughs> I'm like, man, why do you have to be such a good guy and I'm such a thug? Anyway, we go and help these guys and get the lifeguards get down and they sort the car out, they pull it out. And then um, I'm just standing there feeling so convicted of my character at this moment. And then to add to that, Nico goes to the car and gets a Bible. <laughs> Gives them each a surface Bible. And here I am thinking, at one moment I am writing these people off. In the very next moment, I am being shown the way by a person of incredible character. And if he ever watched this, he'd be saying, this is a lot of gravy for a little potato. Uh, but watching somebody of incredible character rise in an occasion to do what is right, to do what is kind, to do what probably in that moment Jesus would have done. I mean, have you ever had a person in your life that you would stand alongside and that is a source of aspiration in your life? Someone who you would go, I wish I could be like, you know, what is it, the 1992 Gatorade ad, I wanna be like Mike. You know, I don't want to be a basketball player. This bod wasn't built for basketball. I'll give you the tip. But there's plenty of people in my life who I look to their character. I look to who they are. I look to how God has shaped them. And I go, I want to be like them. I wonder if you've had one. See, Ruth chapter 2 introduces us to a character in the story of the book of Ruth of incredible character. Somebody whose life that we can take after, someone whose life we can look at, someone whose example that we can stand alongside and uh, measure ourselves against and go, God, can I be more like that person? So Ruth chapter two, if you've got your Bible, uh, I want you to turn there. We're gonna be in that shortly. If you didn't bring it, you should bring your Bible to church. It's, it's probably a good time to bring your Bible is to church. And I didn't put it on the screen. So if you've got your phone, get it out, Ruth chapter two. But a little bit of context. Um, Naomi uh, and was married to Elimelech and had two sons, Malon and Chilion. Uh, they moved to a place called Moab from their home nation of Israel due to famine. Uh, it was Elimelech's idea. He uprooted the family so they could go and live in a place where he could provide for them and that they would be looked after. They would have a home, they'd have food. Uh, but while living in Moab, death and tragedy struck. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, all three of them died. 
This left Naomi, uh, who at, we read in chapter one, requested that she be called Mara, which means bitter because God had dealt with her so bitterly, uh, left her all alone with Ruth and Orpah, her two sons' wives, widowed. They were left to their own devices. They were vulnerable, they were exposed, and their future was in doubt. Naomi decided that she would return to Israel, her homeland, but advises her daughters-in-law, both Ruth and Orpah, to stay in their homeland of Moab. Orpah, she took the advice of her mother-in-law. We're going to leave mother-in-laws alone. Because mine might be watching. But Ruth, in the, it's almost like a crescendo moment of a movie where the symbols all start going and the atmosphere all lightens and we get the wherever you go, Ruth, oh, sorry, Naomi, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And it just it feels amazing in this moment of the movie that Ruth would dedicate herself to her mother-in-law and see her back to her homeland to ensure that she would be okay. And so Naomi and Ruth head on back to Bethlehem. And when they get back, they return just at the time of harvesting of the barley. And we pick up the story in chapter two and it says this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing an upright man, uh, a man of uh, both wealth and status in the community, but also a man of incredible character from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favour. This was a practice called gleaning. In Leviticus 19 and in Deuteronomy 19, the Lord instructed people who were producing on the land not to harvest all the way to the edges of your property, to leave the corners. So people like uh, Naomi and Ruth, widows, people who had nothing, poor people could come and they could glean, they could take food from the corners of the property. Not only that, as they harvested anything that fell to the ground, they were instructed by the Lord, don't pick it up. You can do without that. You've got all the, all the good stuff that you're harvesting, you're collecting it, anything that falls to the ground as well. Leave that for people who don't have anything, people who are in more need than you are. And so this is what uh, Ruth asked um, if she could go and do. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. These couple of words, again, it is often the seemingly insignificant words of Scripture that can highlight to us incredible meaning. As it turned out. You see, what appears to be an as it turns out moment in our life is more often than not God behind the scenes working through your life, working to your life, and working in our lives. You see, this was no accident that, oh, as it turned out, Ruth happened by happenstance, ended up in Boaz's field. You see, God is so intricately involved in our lives as he directs everything behind the scenes that we don't notice and we don't see it, but he is there. 
He's not a micromanager, nor is he absent. He is poised to interact. He is always listening. He is always watching. He is always noticing the comings and the goings of his creation. As it turned out, is not just a vehicle for releasing tension in a story. You know, like we're building up tension, there's lots of action happening and there's conflict and all the rest of it. And as it turns out, would be a a series of words that you would use to then relieve the tension and bring something different. You see, as it turned out, is not just a vehicle for releasing tension in a story. It is descriptive of the very modus operandi of God. In layman's terms, my terms, that is the way God works. He is, and as it turns out, God. He is the God who turns things out. He is the God who orchestrates things in the background that to what you and I may seem as coincidence is His will being our work through our lives. I'm convinced that there is much less coincidence in life than we would have ourselves believe and I have full confidence that God is at work behind your life making things work for His glory in your world. That's just what happens when you've got the God of peace on your side. It's what happens when you've got the God of victory within you. It's what happens when you have a God of salvation who is outworking His work of restoration and renewal for all of creation through your life. It isn't coincidence the people He's placed in your life. It's not coincidence the workplace or lack thereof that He's placed around you right now. He he has got you right where you are so He can bring about His will in your life and the will of Himself in others. As it turns out, there's no such thing. There is a good God who is directing traffic in and around our lives all the time. It's wonderful. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, this is verse four, and greeted the harvesters, greeted the people he had employed to work for him. And he greeted them by saying, the Lord be with you. And they replied, the Lord bless you. I mean, can you imagine working in an office where that's how the day started? Now, I turn up to work with eyes peering at me passively, aggressively asking me for coffee. Jen, Kim. You're not gonna get coffee until you bless me in the name of the Lord on, on Monday. I mean, imagine working in a, in a place where the very first element of conversation was, man, God bless you today. And you say it back to me, God bless you today. Could you imagine what might shift in your workplace if we bring to the forefront God in our life? Boaz, as it turns out, is a pretty incredible guy. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? It's kind of he has the, catches out the corner of his eye and says to his mate, hey, three o'clock, three o'clock, she's over there. What's her, (laughs) she's the goods, what's her name? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab, funnily enough, with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in uh, in the shelter. So Boaz popped a mint in his mouth and he sided up to Ruth. He was on the tune 
And he said, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And this guy is he's rewriting the script. This is not how this story is meant to go. The women are treated as less. The women have no place. They have no standing. They had to pick up the scraps from the table and not get offered the food from the very table itself. Boaz is rewriting the story of what it means to be a personable character, a person of kindness, a person whose life we could emulate. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Kindness begets kindness, eh? You know, Boaz has noticed the kindness that Ruth has shown Naomi. And then Boaz repays that kindness in her life with kindness. You know, I believe that that is so true of what God does in our own lives. When we demonstrate and show kindness to others, that God, like Boaz in this story, repays us with his kind hand. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. This is awesome. This is like food and wine. He's romancing this woman with food. Boys, if you're single, take a tip. Food and wine. Food and wine. Come over and have some bread and dip it in the wine. And when she sat down with the harvesters, this is awesome. Boaz put her on equal standing as the men. When some people make an argument that you know, Jesus was no good for women. You know, Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to women. And we see this beginning with Boaz, that again, by all counts and measures, she belonged alongside the dogs, didn't even belong in the house, didn't deserve the food, didn't deserve anything except the bits of grain and crop that she could scrounge for herself off the ground and take it to, if she even had a home, to wherever she would lay her head and prepare some kind of meal with it. Boaz places Ruth alongside the men. Amazing. He offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And what a vision of an incredible God. The one who invites you to his table though you don't deserve it and gives you all you need and more. What a vision of God that you and I, being so aware of our undeservedness at the table of the Lord, that he would welcome you and I into his home, that he would prepare a seat among those whom we would not deserve to sit alongside. And he feeds us with not just the raw stuff, but the cooked stuff. 
He goes out of his way to have prepared for you and I a meal that he would invite us to. Not only that, that he would send us away full. He is a good God. As she got up to go and glean again, Boaz gave order to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Boaz is going to extraordinary lengths to show love and kindness and generosity and goodness to this woman. I can't help but but keep seeing God in this story through Boaz. I mean, can you? He's right here. God is right here in the text. Jesus is right here in the text. He's the one that goes above and beyond and goes an extra mile that we would have enough. So Ruth gleaned until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and it amounted to an ephah, about 14 kilos. That's heaps of grain. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth then told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And in the background, she's rubbing her hands together going, it worked. You see, Ruth didn't happen stance to be there just because one, God had orchestrated it. But Naomi was in the background here as well, doing the mother-in-law thing, meddling in her daughter-in-law's affairs. And she knew that if she could get Ruth to go to Boaz's joint, that fireworks and sparks were sure to happen and there would be a new future for their family. See, God was at work through Naomi to see Ruth's life changed. In the same way, God is at work in your life, not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Even as Jen prayed this morning for the nations of the world who are suffering under this. You know, we don't just sit passively by in our prayers offering them off to the ether. We offer our prayers to a God who works through our very lives. When we pray and when we act and when we serve and when we love and when we share and when we're kind, God's redemptive story is being outplayed through our very lives. Never underestimate the power of your generosity and kindness, be it in prayer or be it with money or be it with time. God is at work through your life to interrupt other people's with love. The Lord bless him. She said, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that man of our close relative, he is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all of my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. See, the author of Ruth paints an incredible picture of Boaz. He is a man of peace. He is a man without prejudice. He is a man of blessing and thoughtfulness in generosity. He is a man of grace. He is a man who is warm. 
He is a, a man who is welcoming. He is a man who is strong. Now, I don't want to presume that Boaz is perfect because he's not Jesus. He's not God. He is a signpost toward Jesus. He is a signpost toward the Lord, but still imperfect. But as I read through this, I don't want to be like Mike. And you know what? I don't even want to be like my mate Nico to that degree as well. I want to be a little bit more like Boaz. You know, I see God in Boaz in such detail. And I believe that if we, among our own spheres of influence, among our own neighbors, among our own workplaces, among our own families, and if we as a church become more like Boaz, we will see the kinds of change that we pray for, the kind of change that we long for, and the kind of change that we hold out hope for. You know, Boaz did more than leave behind uh, barley for Ruth to glean. He left behind us a godly character for us to emulate. And so in our brief closing moments, I want to give you three ways to let your life speak kindly. You know, I just love those few words in uh, verse 13. You have put me at ease, Ruth says. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly. You know, what a gift that we have to bring ease to our world. You probably know people in your world who aren't at ease for whatever reason, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whether it's corona stuff or whether it's other things. We know that unease in life is not difficult to find. But what happens in Ruth's life is that words spoken kindly brought ease. And so I want us to just dive into three quick things this morning in three ways to let your life speak kindly. And the very first instance, I'm going to draw from just a few moments in this story of what uh, Boaz did to help enlighten us along the way. But the way he greeted and treated his workers at the start of the day. I know I had a bit of tongue-in-cheek back there about the coffees. The Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. I mean, imagine the net result of bringing, beginning each day like that. I mean, how many of you turn up to work or the family focused on the problem of the day? Maybe focused on the annoying boss that you've got to confront. Maybe focused on the account that you've got to win or close. Focused on the tasks of yesterday that have been undone. Focused on the colleague who eats tuna at lunch and smells. Focus, <laughs> Rod knows what I'm talking about. I reckon you're the tuna eater, Rod. You know, focused on everything else, so caught up in what was happening yesterday and what's happening today and what's going to happen tomorrow and the lunches that got to be made and the soccer training that got to be attended and the jobs that got to be done around the house and we get so focused and caught up in all of these things. You know, Boaz started the day focused not on what it needed to be done but on the one for whom he did it. This in turn created culture among his team. And you might not have a team, but you have a context, and in that context, you have the power to create culture. And this doesn't let any of us off the hook. It involves us all. That wherever you are, in whatever job, in every workplace, in whatever family, there is a culture of God's kingdom that is mandated of your life to influence and create change in that atmosphere. 
that wherever you walk, you have the power and the resources internally to bring a culture of the kingdom to that place. Boaz propagated kingdom culture and he daily reminded his people of the presence and nearness of God. What if in the simplest form we could do that this week? That in our lives we remind each other of the nearness and the presence of God. That's all he did. Hey, the Lord bless you today, man. Hey, God's with you. Hey, um, I'm just thinking about that thing you were telling me about yesterday, that hard time that you're going through or um, that situation you got. How does... I want, I want you to know that I'm, I prayed for you last night and you know, I believe that God's going to do something in your situation. Or hey, um, I, I, you know, just ha- I haven't been able to shake that story you're telling me. Do you mind if I pray for you right now? You know, what if in its simplest form that with the creative use of our words and reminding of each other that God is right here, what kind of cultural shift could we experience in our workplaces or in our families or at our schools or wherever we might find ourselves. The Lord is here. The Lord bless you. The Lord go with you. The Lord is good to you. With our words, we have the capacity to create change. You know, over the past five or six years, uh, Brett and Jen have steered the culture of this church in uh, specifically one really powerful way is that conversation around how to do church and how to make church good and all of that kind of got the big kick up the backside. It still does. We're still learning. But conversation shifted dramatically to questions like this. What is the Lord doing today? What is God saying to us? Where is Holy Spirit leading us in this moment? What is he up to just now? You see, when we come with inquisitiveness of God, it does away with our need to have the answers. And I believe that through thick and thin, through highs and lows, that the steadiness of what God has achieved through this community in serving our community and being a pillar of strength for those in our community who need it, involving all of us, is off the back of a culture that has been created by strong leadership that stops and asks, what is God doing now? And we are living in the impacts and the fruit of culture created. What is the culture that you will create in your sphere of influence this week? You know, if I'm going to spread some more love, Greggy Burns, he's watching online, at least Chrissy is anyway. She texted me and said, I love watching your big hair in the front of worship. I texted back and said, at least you've got my best angle back there. Um, but I'm a kind of let's do it all today kind of ideas man, you know, I just want to move at a million miles an hour and get the next big thing done. I love a good project. And working closely with Greg in the middle of all of this, he's a little bit more reserved in, um, in change, and that's what I need. And, um, you know, I was kind of going for, like, the let's get everything sorted today and make, you know, the end result that we see in three months happen this week. And I'd kind of just see Greg just kind of shy back and give me the, the eyes of, let's just slow down. And what, what was born out of Greg's influence on me was we called this um, a, a culture of improvement, not of perfection. And I wanted like, things to be pretty perfect. I wanted things to work and to move forward quickly and to change quickly. Um, but Greg's impact on my life, just by the small comments 
This is for you, Bernsey. Just in the small ways that you influenced me created a culture of improvement, not of perfection. And so we were pretty satisfied when we didn't get it right, knowing that on last week, it was a little bit better. And on this week, it's a little bit better again. It's a little bit better again. And that is the influence that we can have even at the smallest level of just being present in somebody's life, speaking kindly and creating culture of God's kingdom can impact our world incredibly. Boaz created a culture that brought attention first to the Lord, not on what needed to be done, not on the deadline, not on the failings of yesterday or the plans of tomorrow. We all have a culture and context we're creating or contributing to. What will you create this week? The second way for us to let our life speak kindly is to welcome and invite outsiders to the table. This is what Boaz did so masterfully. Now, this was not just a fact in the story that Boaz welcomed Ruth, a Moabite, an outsider, a foreigner, indeed even a refugee, into his house. This wasn't just a fact in the story, but a sub-story carried all the way through the book of Ruth. In fact, all the way through the, the narrative of Scripture, God behind the scenes, including and using people who weren't meant to belong to change the world. I mean, in case you forgot, and possible spoiler alert, Jesus came from this family line, a family that emerged from the bed and the womb of a prostitute. So his Ruth's grandma was Rahab, the prostitute, who was hidden in the walls of Jericho, who hid the spies. And from her came the next guy, who I think was Obed. Is that right? I did write it down. No, Ruth had Obed, and then Obed gave and his wife to Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, and 28 generations later, Jesus was born. You know, it is the kindness of God that renders your past powerless over your future. You know, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. I think it's actually our imperfection that he loves to use. And how often it is that we write ourselves off because of what happened in our past. That, that dream I let go, that thing I did, that relationship that failed, that whatever the past may have been. You see, God doesn't discount us because of our past. He uses us because of it to show his goodness. Now, Ruth being a foreigner, an alien in the land of Israel, had no hope of a future. All of the odds were stacked against her. No husband, no children, no home, no rights, no protection, no tribe, no support, nothing, nada, zip, zero. Yet in an incredible act of kindness, a seat is prepared for her at the table of plenty and she is welcomed in. And maybe you're feeling like Moab, Moab has robbed you of all you had. That due to a place or a time or a circumstance or a situation, you have been left alone, feeling outcast, feeling vulnerable, maybe like there is no place for you. But God doesn't prepare you a place because of your perfection. He welcomes you to his table because he is good. It is no wonder that the Bible is full of instruction to welcome the stranger, to feed the poor, to clothe the the naked, to look after the widows and the children. We have been placed here to declare to the world the goodness and the kindness of God. It's why we house the homeless. It's why Jacaranda Cottage and Platform 9 began. 
not because we wanted to have housing projects as a feather in our hat to say, here's our tokenistic active mission among the community because that's what churches do. We need to have a mission section on our website, so we need to go and find a mission to do. No, it is born out of a deep hunger and, and truth that God is good and His kingdom comes through us as we care and as we love and we show kindness and we look after the people that God has asked us to look after. It is no accident that we look after women and men who are survivors and are escaping domestic violence. It is no wonder that God has placed us in this place to care for kids through Southern Cross Kids. It is no wonder that God birthed uh, through the, um, the life of Kingsway, a church in some of the poorest areas of Phnom Penh in Cambodia. It's because God has placed us in a position to welcome and include outsiders, people who don't look like us, people who don't live like us, people who don't do life like us, that we would be propagators of the good news of Jesus to all people, not just the insiders, not just the Christians. God doesn't call the church just to be for the Christians. He calls us to be for the people who need us most. And lastly, he didn't leave what was expected or reasonable. He left extra. Boaz didn't just leave behind a tokenistic offering, but he left behind a legacy of generosity. I love the idea that was, and it was not my idea, it's God's idea of leaving margin in your field. Now, don't, don't, don't mow all the way to the edges. Leave some crop behind. Don't pick up everything. Leave some for those who could come behind who can feed themselves. I, I wonder what that means in your life. Because I've been asking the question of me, what, what does it mean for me not to harvest everything? I mean, financially, what does it mean for me to have margin in the field of my finances that I'm not accounting for every single dollar and every single cent earned and spent on my own pleasure, but there is margin in the field of my finances for the poor? There is margin in the field of my finances for my neighbors. There is margin in the field of my finances for the people God has called us as a church to love. I mean, is there margin in the field of my time? You know, I, I, I've got heaps on. I'm, I've got plenty to do in my days. There's not a day that goes by that I couldn't fill three times over with everything that life requires of me. Do I have margin in the field of my time to say, God, I am going to be busy enough to not get sacked, <laughs> but I'm going to be available enough to love. You know, hang out with Chrissy Burns Mickelsons or hang out, even just listening to Chrissy and Avril this week, planning and scheming how they could carve out time to go and bless a family in our church whose kids missed out on an experience earlier through the lockdown period and, and listening to them willing to take half a day out of their busy weeks to go and love and bless a child and a family of our church. That's margin in the field. Is there margin in the field of your time to speak kindly, to act kindly toward others? I love this quote. I've learned that people will forget what you said and people forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. 
And I can't help but Ruth in this moment, recognizing and loving everything that Boaz had done for her. But at the end of the day, she felt welcomed. She felt loved. She felt at home. She felt at ease. And that is what Holy Spirit wants us to experience this morning, to feel welcome, to feel at home, to feel at ease, to feel inspired, to feel like kindness is not out of our grasp. I asked myself the question this week, what will change the world? <laughs> Little question. What will change the world? And there was a few iterations this week after that. And I wrote this, a movement of kindness sent from the church and sustained by a deep love of God and others. It might sound a little bit reductionistic, a little bit too simple, but a movement of kindness sent from the church that is sustained by a deep love of God and others. And when I read that, I see your faces, the faces in the room and the faces online a movement of kindness emerging, sent from us as a group of people into our own communities, sustained by a deep love of God and others that would literally change our world. I'm gonna close with watching this video. That's just this week out of Kingsway over in Phnom Penh. And even if just by a smile we would show you kindness. Do you get that line in that song? And this is what we're a part of. This is what our giving has been going to. Like 10 tons of, was it of rice? 10 tons of rice the church acquired for people who have got no access to food. They load up their tuk-tuks and they go to the city's most destitute of places and they give rice. And it is changing that part of the world. 
I wonder what it is that God is asking us to place in now. We haven't got tuk-tuks. I've got a Forester, whatever you're driving. Probably less importantly is what you're driving is to your hands and your feet and your words. To live a life that speaks kindly. I wonder what that could look like for you this week. And I wonder what that could continue to look like for us as a church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your scripture, you reveal to us so much. You reveal to us your character, and we thank you that you have given us Boaz as a signpost in his chaotic and uncertain and foggy and topsy-turvy world that points towards you. I thank you that you have placed the call of Boaz on us as a church and ourselves as well that we would be signposts standing among the fog of an uncertain and chaotic world that points towards Jesus. That in Boaz's generosity and kindness and goodness, we see the generosity and the kindness and goodness of you. That we would be inspired and that we would inspire to be people of generosity and goodness of kindness. Father, whether it be rice or whether it be a smile, whether it be a visitation of a friend, maybe an offer of prayer, maybe a reminder of this week to somebody that God is near. It can't be a hug, but it could be a high elbow. Father, give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the creative insight on how to show and love and be generous, create margin in our life. Father, like Boaz and like Ruth, that we would take up our role in this script that you are writing, that we'd be obedient to you, our Father, the one who is directing the shots and calling the scenes. Father, we would be caught up in your narrative and your story of redemption and renewal for all of mankind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.